I was in the middle of a discussion with my wife this week when I thought that I was going to be given a memory test. When you get my age and you go to the doctor, they have this compulsory thing they do where they ask you these questions. And it feels a little bit um, intrusive. Um, and the questions are, are so painful, I don't even remember them. But they're, they're, they're about memory, you know. And, and uh, it's like, I want to look at the doctor and I think, you know, I'd like to slap you. What do you think I'm... But my wife starts into the same thing with me. And, and I, I ask her what she's getting at. She goes, well, you repeat yourself a lot. I said, well, what do you mean? And she goes, like, like that God wants a family thing? You've said that so many times in the last six or seven weeks, people are getting tired of it. I went, oh, really? So just, just to show you my response, uh, Candy, are you in here? No, she's not. She rarely hears me speak. I mean, come on. How the heck would you know whether I repeat myself or not? You know? I mean, really. But, but let's face it. It's not hard to figure out what that song's about, right? You're made in the image of God, right? Uh, that's where the Bible begins. That's where this idea of humanness is found. When you turn in the... The very first, maybe the first page, it's the second page in my Bible, but it's Genesis 1, starts in verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Yesterday was one of my granddaughter's 10th birthday, so I took her out for breakfast and we had this exhilarating conversation. And she says to me at one point, as we're driving along, she says, it's so sad that people kill animals. I said, so why is it sad? And she goes, well, it, it just is. And so as a grandfather who has a graduate degree in theology, these are moments that I love. Because I said, you know, Scarlett, the Bible really makes a distinction between us as humans and, and animals. Animals aren't made in the image and likeness of God. We're made like God. We have a chance to think. We can choose. We don't have to be victims. We can be agents of our life if we'd like. We, we have that volitional intention in our world. Uh, we are and I didn't use this word with her, but I almost did. I said, we're sentient beings. And I thought, oh, that's going to lead to a great conversation. What's a sentient being, you know? And, uh, but we think and we feel and we, we ask questions like, where did I come from and where am I going and what is the meaning of life? Your dog, when they sit at your lap, doesn't ask those questions. I mean, your cat doesn't even think in that world, all right? Your dog might, but no. Um, so... The, the fact is, is there, there's a distinction. You and I were made in the image of God. And so some, something starts significant there. Something radical happens there that unfolds throughout the entire Bible. And it's, it's on this verse and, and the truths that come after that that we get this 
understanding of why I'm responsible for looking at you and realizing that you were made in the image of God. You have a dignity, not because of what you think, not because of how you voted, not because of where you live or how much money you make. You have a dignity that I have a responsibility as a child of God to respect. And so just because you might be a a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer or you might have voted for Biden or you might have voted for Trump, none of that matters in the realm of dignity because my responsibility to you is as a creature who was created in the image of God is to understand what does God want me to do? How does God want me to relate to you? You see, that's uh, the answer, I think, that the Bible gives for this very divisive time that we sit in, is that there's a kingdom, not my kingdom, not my political kingdom, not even the government of my city or my county or my state or my nation. There's a kingdom that's radically different than all of that. And so there's kind of a choice that we have to make. I've talked about it a couple of times. Here I go repeating myself. Sorry, dear. Um, but, you know, this idea that, that either the world we exist in is totally random. Just absolutely random. And if it's random, and, and there's no sense of pointing back to intention. There's no, no divine design in this world, then I'm not responsible for anything. You pull out in front of me, and I can pull out a gun and shoot at you. Who says it's right or wrong? There, there's no place to go to say, you know, we, we can think about human institutions, but human institutions change. There was a time in our country that a human institution of the federal government said that I could take a black man and I could enslave him. What makes that right and just? You see, if, if in the history of our country, if our forefathers truly did understand this verse in Genesis 1, we would have understood that, that color doesn't matter. Whether you're brown, black, white, red, Green, yellow, it doesn't matter. If you are a human being, you have dignity. And you're worthy of respect. Simply because you are a creature of God. You were made in his likeness. And so, when we think about solving the ills of this world, and bringing everybody together, and we get political candidates that think they're going to bring everybody to the center and stuff like that, and we discover, what is that based on? Their personality or, 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 or their persuasive speech? I think the reality is, for me at least, the Bible gives a, a pretty clear explanation of why this is and, and how this comes together. Paul writing in a book to some people who lived in what we would now call Turkey. It's the area of Galatia in the biblical times. And he's writing to them, and he, he helps them understand 
what the conflict is all about. We often think it's a conflict, a, a political conflict, or uh, a particular you know, conflict over what's the definition of science, or those, those kinds of things are, are the conflict. But that's not the real conflict. The real conflict, Paul says, is much deeper than that. He says in chapter 5, verse 17, he says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And he goes on to delineate what the, the acts of anti-spirit look like. You see, Paul says the conflict is not a conflict of of politics or not a conflict of science or not a conflict of, of anything other than a conflict that exists between you and I. I mean, not between you and I, within you and I. It's my flesh and it's my spirit. That's where the battle rages. And until I can find some way to overcome that, I can't really bring people to the center. I've got to acknowledge that, that, that you and I exist not only as, as people with great dignity, created in the image of God, but as the story goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and in the garden, you and I also are afflicted with depravity. We just want our own way. I mean, let's just face it. If you would all do what I say, everything would be much better, Right? You ever, you ever been there? You know, it's like, dang, if people just listen to me, I, I could fix this thing. And, and the fact is, is that in my saner moments, when I think about how ridiculous that statement is, I, I realize that I have a particular set of wants and desires and a story that leads me to a place that's not universal, it's individual, it's me and it doesn't necessarily provide everybody the best kind of life. And so we see this moment in history when God says, let me become human. Let, let me find a way into humanity so that you, you and I, can understand what it means to be truly human. Because Every one of us thinks we're truly human, and, and we have that little bubble moment, you know, when we think, if the idiots of this world just listen to me, things would be just fine. And, and, and so we, we have that bubble moment when we're thinking that way, and, and, and it's sort of like we presume to be God. We presume to have infinite knowledge of, of everything. And, and the problem is, is we have so little knowledge of ourselves. Self-awareness is something that's it's in short supply. And for a spiritual journey, self-awareness is, is one of the absolute necessary components for dealing with the conflict that exists within inside us. I'm made in the image of God, but I'm afflicted with flesh. Not the physical stuff. Paul's using that term as a nature. I have this nature within me that is 
opposed to God. It, it's, it's opposed to God, but it's for me. And I, and I don't see the necessarily how those two things are in competition. And the more self-aware I become of that competition, the more likely I am to be able to understand what it means to be truly human. So God takes on flesh, and he becomes human. And he, he lives among us, and Jesus has this amazing life, and it gets categorized or it gets cataloged in the four stories in the second half of the Bible that we often call the Gospels, the good news. And we see this perfect human being relating to humanity. But it's fascinating that his story has kind of really three moments in it. If we think about pivot points in a story, you know, we think about the game Thursday night. You think about those pivot moments that were there. And, you know, and all of a sudden, that last touchdown that was made before the end of the regular time that tied the game. And then all of a sudden, that pivot moment when Kelsey ends up with the ball in the middle of the field. And somehow, he's not the fastest guy in that, that group of people that are running for the, the end zone. But somehow, he ends up there, beating them all there. It was a pivot moment in the season of the Kansas City Chiefs. And it, it's a moment that we'll talk about because the Patriots lost last night. <laughs> and the Broncos are going to lose today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so it, it's a pivot moment. So let, let's think about the three pivot moments in Jesus' life. There's his birth. He comes as a baby. Now, God could have entered a lot of different ways. Um, could have come on you know, horses, blazing fire, all kinds of stuff. If, if the Bible's true that, that God created, spoke this world into being, he could have done whatever he wanted to come into this world. But he chose to come in a very naturally supernatural way. He came through a, a birth, a physical birth, only the Bible claims that Mary never had sex with anyone. She was a virgin. And she bears this little baby. And this little baby grows up to be Jesus, who claims to be God, who, who makes the, the most bodacious claim you could ever imagine. No one goes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. Jesus says that. People often ask me, are you exclusive about how to get to heaven? I said, I'm not, but Jesus is. You know, I, I, I would like to say that everyone could get to heaven. But Jesus says no one goes to the Father except through him. And I'm supposing that in the original language that no one actually means no one. But he comes as a baby, very approachable, you know, very, very, very sweet, tender, Desperate in some ways because he was born in a stable, born out back in the barn type thing. Poor, possibly, or, or outcast. He, he was born where people aren't norm, normally born, even in his world. And he grew up. And the second pivot point happens to be what happens to him as a result of what he taught. By saying things like, I... And the way, the truth, and life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. Jesus 
made himself an enemy of the religious leaders of his time. And so they put him to death. They crucified him, the second pivot point in his life. And then the third pivot point in Jesus' life is that moment when we have a virgin birth, we have a human put to death, but unfortunately for the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities, that human also happened to be God. He was put to death. His physical body died, but his father brought him back to life. His resurrection, the third pivot point in his life. If the resurrection is true, Paul says, then, then our faith is kind of like, watch out. But if it's not true, then it's really a pity that we would even waste time gathering here and doing the stuff we do. It's just kind of that way, you know? It's like, so you got these three pivot points. They, they hold together, but they speak a story about how do we get to being human and find kindness toward one another. Because those three moments address the conflict inside. Those three moments address the fact of what you and I feel. You know that moment when you think, I know what I should do, but by God, I don't want to do it. You know, you feel your own conflict. You feel like, do I need a doctor here? Am I got some kind of split personality? Because there's something in me that says, I should do this, but I do that. Or even worse, when you realize that you know that you should do this and you find yourself saying that to yourself as you do that all the way through and you're thinking, I'm going to regret this. I know I'm going to regret this. And you regret it. That's the conflict that Paul's talking about. That's the conflict that only comes when we follow Jesus to the cross. And Jesus, speaking before he died in Luke 14, says, look, if, if you want to follow me, here's the secret. The secret is understand that you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die, and he doesn't explain this all in Luke 14, but you can kind of put the pieces together. You're going to have to die to yourself. He says, you're going to have to take up your cross daily and follow me. You know, people often think about um, Jesus as this uh, happy thing, but the fact is, is that found in the life that Jesus offers us, is a death experience on a regular basis. It's a death experience to the flesh that we have. That experience of understanding that conflict, that God knows better than anyone else about that conflict because he was human, and now he offers us the opportunity to be fully human as he created Adam and Eve to be fully human. To have that ability to respond to those our enemies, Jesus says. Love your enemies. He even shares this ridiculous illustration about the, the Roman law that says if, if a Roman soldier were to come along and, and he was tired of carrying all that stuff that he's got on his back and all this, he could put it on yours and, and make you go a mile with him. And that's what the law said. You have to walk a mile, probably out of your way, for this Stupid Roman soldier. And Jesus says, look, when they ask you to go one mile, go two. 
It's like, are you freaking kidding me? I don't even want to go one. I don't have the time to go one. I got people to see, things to do, places to go. And by law, I've got to serve this Roman soldier. Jesus says, take it another mile. See, there's something counterintuitive about Jesus, like dying to yourself so that you can become alive to what means to be truly human, to what you were truly created to be. Because on that flesh side, you and I really act as if we are God. We know best. Our feelings, our, our thoughts, our opinions, everything are better than everybody else's. And so by God, if we're going to serve anybody, they're going to serve us. Now, we're never going to act that way. You know, it's not a, that's not kind of an adult way to act out loud, you know. But inside, you know, I wish, I wish I had a little, like a laser beam I could hit on someone's forehead and then project their thoughts up on the screen. <laughs> I mean, that would be one of those holy crap moments, wouldn't it? You're sitting there, you know, you got your phone on. <laughs> you don't want that to happen. I know if you're like me, it would be like, holy smokes. This is, this is like every Halloween movie put together times 10. It goes off in my mind. But it's not until we come to the conflict and realize that conflict inside is what keeps us from being truly human. It's what keeps us from being able to express kindness even in the face of meanness. To be able to express kindness in the face of humanity that we're longing to figure out how to love, but for the life of me, they seem so unlovable. The reality is, is that's what you and I were to Jesus. Paul says it so well in Romans 5 when he's dealing with Abraham. Now, Abraham was a great guy. You know, Abraham is a, is a wealthy guy, had a lot of family and that kind of stuff, but God calls him away from all that. And Abraham goes, and, and Paul says that, that Abraham at one time was an enemy of God. And because he responded to God's voice, he became a friend of God. And, and that's what Christmas is. Christmas is, is, is kind of like a, a bell ringing. And, and, you know, it starts pretty early. You know, some of you put on those little jingle bell things that are so aggravating. Um, and then you walk into the, you know, the grocery stores, and there's the Salvation Army person jingle belling, you know. And then you hear the music over the, you know, the, the intercom or the loudspeakers in there, you know, some, some things, you know, singing, you know, bells. And, you know, you hear, you know, all these kind of things. Christmas every year is kind of a bell ringing for us to ask ourselves, are, are we hearing the real message of this thing? God is in it to get us back to being fully human. You see, unfortunately, the, the message of Christianity has been perverted. For many people, the message of Christianity is that God left heaven and came to earth so he could get humans out of earth into heaven. And the reality is, is that God left heaven to come to earth to get humans to experience heaven on earth. 
Jesus even taught us to pray, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. That's the message. And so you and I coming to grips with understanding that conflict, becoming aware of the conflict, and beginning to address the, the beauty of this. So Jesus brings us power at the cross. He overcomes all of that and gives us the freedom to be his children again, but also to attack the pattern of the flesh in our lives that has plagued us for as long as we've been alive. And, and that's the beauty of what we find at this time of the year is an opportunity to hear those bells, respond to that conflict, to accept the power that he gives us to be the children of God, not just the creatures of God, but the children of God, and to begin addressing the pattern, the pattern of flesh, becoming self-aware of my godlike tendencies to create a humility and a spirit of human kindness. Let's pray. Fathers, uh, even as I sit here and talk about this story, it just seems so surreal that um, 2,000 years ago, that out of something I can't touch and see and feel appeared a guy by the name of Jesus. Um, and he made some, some audacious claims. And he did some things that are recorded in history some miracles that are hard to explain. And then he actually came back to life. The crowning miracle of all that he couldn't perform himself, but God, you did that yourself in bringing him back to life. And because of that, we stand today believing that these bells that ring at Christmas are bells that ring out our true humanity. What it's like to get back to where you created us to be. Not in some world that's to come, but in this world, this world right now. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you that you've done for us what we could not do for ourselves. I trust that the bells that ring this Christmas would be bells that we hear and cause us to lean into this story, not just of our dignity, but also our depravity. And to address that pattern, that pattern of the flesh that keeps us from being truly what you created us to be. Father, we bring these things to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.